All right, what have you got lined up for me? Are there any good auditions? Not exactly, sweetheart, but I got you a small role in a Canadian revival of Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, the the Toronto cast? Technically, the greater Toronto area. East Gwillimbury. You know who's from East Gwillimbury? John Candy. You can look it up. Okay, um, well, who do I play? Leper. Uh, excuse me? You play Leper. Well, that doesn't sound like a, you know, a really good role. You know who played Leper as a young actress? Goldie Hawn. Uh, don't look that up. It might not be true. Anyway, you also understudy Cured Leper. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I don't even play a leper who gets cured? No, but if the cured leper gets sick, you take over for him. Well, how can he get sick if Jesus cured him? Baby, what am I, the Pope? I don't know how to answer those questions. Okay, um, do I have any lines, at least? You have moans. You, you moan three times. What kind of agent are you? You get me a three-moan leper part in East Willembury, Canada? Why am I not playing Judas? Sweet cakes, you know who plays Judas? Ben Vereen. Ben Vereen! He sings, he dances, he acts, he plays the spirit flute, he gets laughs. Okay, not too many laughs as Judas, but you see the difference between you and him? Connections? Talent. You dance like Al Gore, you sing like a crow on life support, you act like Ashton Kutcher. Well, that last one sounds good. Believe me, it ain't. Maybe I should just listen to- You know what, Angel Face? I read the telegram wrong. It's not Jesus Christ Superstar, it's Bye Bye Birdie. I play a leper in Bye Bye Birdie. Maybe they got some new vision for it. Here's your bus ticket. Okay, first I'm going to listen to this interview with the real Ben Vereen. And now in the Miami production of Pippin, he plays Gandalf, Colin McEnroe. If I have to explain to anybody who Ben Vereen is, something has gone deeply wrong here. Everybody should know who he is. He's a legend. He's a treasure. He can do anything. He can dance. He can sing. He can act. He's won Tony Award for Pippin, nominated for his role in Jesus Christ Superstar, nominated for Golden Globes and Emmys, and, of course, he was Chicken George in Roots. Now I'm telling you who Ben Vereen is, and I just said at the beginning mm. that I don't have to. He's currently co-starring <laughs> with Richard Gere in the film Time Out of Mind, and most significantly yes. in my mind, he's going to appear on stage with me September 26th at uh, University of St. Joseph. You can come. Uh, when the one thing that I can really promise you, you're thinking right now, well, if I'm going to listen to him talk for 49 minutes, there'll be nothing left when he goes on stage. That's really <laughs> not, not true. true. That is so, so not true. <laughs> that and is not so not true. <laughs> there's, he's got so much to say, and there's just his life has been so incredible that – you know, there's just we're, we will not have enough time to cover everything, even if we combine both of those things. But Ben Vereen, I'm feeling as though I need to be elevated. I need to be spiritually lifted up. I needed need something to kind of get me ready for this. Could you play okay. something on your spirit flute okay, for you me? All right, here yes, we. I will. All right, now I'm totally ready. Uh, there we are. I'm Calm s- everything down. Yeah. Put us in the zone. I'm centered. Ah, I'm centered. centered. So we're going to talk yes. about the past, the present, the future. He's got a lot of stuff that's coming up uh, ahead of him, too, and we want to get to all yes. that stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the past. I wanted to talk in particular because I'm not only a big fan of you, but I'm a big fan of Sammy Davis Jr., and I guess I hadn't uh, quite— My mentor. Yeah, I hadn't realized, I hadn't realized how yes. strong that relationship is. So you, one of your first real gigs really was working for Sammy, right? That's right. In a show called Golden Boy, uh, we first met on the set of Sweet Charity starring uh, Shirley MacLaine mm-hmm. and um, back in the, you know, in the Stone Age. And he liked me and uh, he asked me to come with him to London. And that's when, we, that's when it all started. And you guys are very and, are similar in the sense that you're triple or quadruple threats. You can both well, sing, was, dance, he, act, get laughs. I mean, you can do it all, right? 
He could do yeah, it well, all. He was what we looked to, the one we looked to. You know, one thing, Sammy, I learned at a very young age when I was contemplating going to show business, and Sammy epitomized that. He's, you know, he wasn't just a singer or a dancer. He did it all. And I said, well, if I'm, because I started out as a modern dancer, you know, because I went to high school full of performing arts. It's a dance major. And I got into the business and I said, if I want to work, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to contemplate plates, you know, open up my mouth and sing it a little bit. I'm going to get my acting chops up, you know, so I can uh, well-round it because I love what I do. And I want to thank my audiences for allowing me the opportunity to do it for them. So what did Sammy teach you? What did you learn from him? Love of my audiences, love of the craft. His essence was about performing, about being on every time he hit the stage. Even when he wasn't on the stage, he was on. (laughs) But, but, you know, he lived that way. He lived it. You know, I actually remember, um, I I looked it up. You can find everything on YouTube now. And so there used to be this somewhat dopey show called Playboy After Dark, which which they sort Mm. of have it in the Playboy Mansion. And celebrities would kind of be, the implication was, well, there's this party going on and these celebrities are there and they just just start singing or something. But when Mm. Sammy was on, it was unbelievable. I mean, he really took over the room. Yeah. Yeah, he'd take over. He'd do that everywhere. We go to protest rallies and he take over. Okay, uh, let me do a little bit of my show right here. You got 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, we're going, hell no, we won't go. Okay, okay. All right, hell no, we won't go. I got a song for that. <laughs> and Candyman. <laughs> and, and I get the feeling that, you know, the, the Rat Pack guys, of course, they had this Rat Pack legend about they were just these hard partying, hard drinking, hard everything guys. And I'm sure that's true to a certain degree, but... I feel as though it might be a little bit overblown. I mean, the, to, yeah, to, yeah. To they, do were, the, they were artists. Yeah. And the most important thing was the performance and getting on that stage. People make up stories about us in the business. And then we have the tabloids and, and they blow it all out of proportion. But the main thing here is the art mm-hmm. of what we do and giving it to our audiences. And that's what we try to be true to. And that's what I learned from these guys. They would hit that stage and they were on. I don't care what's going on, you know, in the dress room or in their homes. They hit that stage, bang, they were on. Um, yeah, yeah, and so we're having some kind of Sinatra centennial right now, and you got to know him a little bit too, right? Oh, yeah, I knew Frank. Yeah, I knew Frank. I knew Sammy. I knew Jerry. I knew uh, Dean Martin, uh, you know, Jerry Lewis, because I did a lot of Jerry's telethons. And I had the honor and the privilege of walking with these guys. You know, uh, we don't talk about Joey Bishop, mm-hmm. Peter Lawford. You know, these are the, these are the cats, man. Right. I was watching some of the old uh, films of Sinatra in the studio. I was, I was surprised at his musicianship that, you know, it's like, okay, come back to, Amazing, to, to measure, thir- measure 35. I want, you know, I want the saxes to sound in such a way. I, I thought of him as a singer, but boy, his attention to the score and how things were going to sound. Well, you know, he came from the Dossie band. He came from those guys who, who did the big band era. They, they lived and breathed the charts. I'll tell a Vereen audience story. Back in the 70s, I was dating a woman who was a big Ben Vereen fan, and she'd gotten tickets, a ticket to go see you without me. She came back, and she was just rapturous. And she said, you know, this is the, you know, it was probably 77 or so. She probably thought I saw you at some theater in the round somewhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end, you got sweat pouring off your body, and you just kind of left it all up there on the stage. And she said, and then he waved. He waved right at us. So is that a little trick of yours in terms of love with the audience and connecting and stuff like that? How, how do you connect with the audience? By showing up. Yeah. They show up yeah. and the connection happens. They come with the intent. I come with the same intent to give. Mm-hmm. And it happens. It's an organic thing. 
And that's our job, if it is a job, and I love my job, to show up and to deliver. They show up, I want to deliver. You know, I grew up in churches, of course, mm-hmm. and my godmother, who taught me to sing, Mary Eddy was her name, missionary. Her husband's name was Reverend E. Eddy, Reverend Eddie Eddy. Mm-hmm. And we used to go around the churches, and there was nobody there. You know, they would go around and, and have services in churches when ministers would go on vacation. So we'd be sitting in the church, and they'd be like, nobody there. Just he, Mama Mary, we call her Mama Mary, Mary Eddie, and myself. And he said, okay, let's have service. I'm looking around, but nobody was in the pews. And I'm going, let's have service. <laughs> there ain't nobody here. He said, when well, two or three are gathered, the Lord is in the midst. We're going to have service. We would have a full service. And then on top of that, Mother Mary would pass me a quarter and said, now we're going to take up collection. Put your quarter in the basket. <laughs> but she just gave me a quarter. I want to go buy some candy. <laughs> Put your quarter in the basket. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever shows up, you, for me, you're going to get a show. I have done shows where when I first started out, I was in Canada at the Royal York Hotel. i never forget this. Had a full orchestra. And uh, I came out on stage, and there were five people in the audience, and one had their back to me. <laughs> did you get that I, person I to turn him. around? Did you I, succeed? I, I got him to turn around. That's good. <laughs> That's how you I know did my show. But see, yeah, usually, it's, usually for you, it's going to be the opposite problem, which is that you're going to take a big room and you have to make it feel small, right? If you got a thousand people watching you, you got to make them feel like it's twenty, it's thirty. Well, it's, yeah, exactly. That's what we do. It's to make it an intimate experience for each person. Right. I want each person to feel like this show is, is designed for them individually. And, and that woman that I was talking about, she felt waved to by you. She felt as though mm-hmm. she, you had waved at her. Now, and I was. Yeah. And I was. <laughs> <laughs> From a certain point of view, you were. Yes, I yeah. was. You're still doing the, sort of the live shows, too, right? You're still Yes, you're still I touring? do. Yeah, Ben Vereen. It's called Ben Vereen Stepping Out. And we're getting ready to do a show called From Brooklyn to Broadway, B2B. Uh, written by Joe Calarco uh, for Broadway. And it's also retrospective on on my career, but it's really a thank you to my audiences. This is the, the grand show that I'm getting ready to do for Broadway next season. You've got a lot of material that you can mine, obviously. Although, one thing that I've wondered in terms of your the live shows that you've done in the past, with this one, it's going to be very easy to work in Judas from Jesus Christ Superstar. But just, you know, for, for a theater in the round kind of show or something like that, I mean, yeah, you can sing stuff from Pippin and you can sing stuff from Wicked and there's a lot of stuff you can sing, but it's hard to just drop one of those Judas songs in there, isn't it? Not for me. <laughs> but how, how, do, you just, do you just set it up a certain way? Say, well, look, yeah, one yeah, of my first yeah, roles is Judas. What am I going to do? I do my shows like this. You know, I have a set of things I do mm-hmm. that I'm going to do. But if the evening feels like the audience feel like they're going in another direction, I can turn to my band because I've been with these guys since Moses. I can turn to them and say, okay, let's go this direction. So we'll throw in another song in another direction that brings the audience closer in. You, and that's my show. That's a live show. But when you're doing a book show, of course, you got to stick to the book. Right. So what do you do in that case? You know, I, Bob Fosse taught me something. You never go after the audience. Mm. You always get quieter, and they'll come to you. Well, that's a good. That is a good lesson. Yeah, I, let's, you brought him up, so let's talk about him. What was your relationship with Bob Fosse like? Was he a taskmaster? Was he yes. yelling at you all the time? Was he yes. demand? Yeah. So give, tell me no, about Bob. Yeah, Bob, Bob Fosse never yelled. Yeah. He didn't have to yell. He'd look, and you say, okay, what do you want, Miss Fossey? 
How many times you want it, Mr. Fosse? <laughs> so, so tell me about Bob Fosse's story. Tell me about getting well, cast by him or whatever your favorite Bob Fosse story is. Well, when I come now, I'll demonstrate to you how he would rehearse. But I first met Bob, I, I talk about it on my show. There was a show called um, Sweet Charity. It was a place called at the Palace Theater Auditions. Mm-hmm. And I went in for the first time, and it was like the opening of all that jazz where you have to see all these dancers on stage, like thousands of dancers on stage. And this one little balding guy would walk down the, uh, walk down the center aisle, and that was Bob Fosse. Mm. He was so smooth, and he smoked the cigarettes, and he would dance with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> and the ashes wouldn't fall until he said, you can fall now. <laughs> <laughs> That's smooth, man. <laughs> that was smooth. He would do things like he would say... Uh, you know, he'd look at you, and there were like three of us. He looked at the first one, he'd say, and shake his head. He looked at the second one, shake his head. He'd look at you, and he'd shake his head. He looked back to the first one, he'd shake his head. He'd look at the third one, shake his head. Look at you, and he'd say, you, stay. <laughs> it was nerve-wracking, nerve-wracking. <laughs> With a couple of really classic shows, you're like the first thing people encounter. Like in, in Jesus Christ Superstar, Judas is pretty much that's what leads it off. In Pippin, you're pretty much what leads it off, right? That's that's a very special job. You're really basically introducing the show after the overture. You're 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 trying to get the audience hooked into the show. I would assume that there's a that's gotta be pretty energizing for a performer like you. Nerve wracking. <laughs> are you are you a ner- are you a well, nervous you do, performer? I tell my my students, if you don't feel nervous about a show mm. before you step out on stage, don't step out on stage. Mm. Why? Because of the fact that you want to feel those butterflies. Your nerves come to embrace you. You want to, your audience to like you. That's why we get nervous. <laughs> now, if you get so nervous you can't go out on stage, you got a problem. You know, you got a problem. And at that point, I say that's your fear. Embrace your fear because inside your fear is your strength. So embrace it and go forward and do it. So a role like the Pippin role, I mean, obviously you had this very special skill set. So this role really was created for you, right? Yeah. It was interesting. When we first went into rehearsal, there was no role. And I sat there and I read this. As a matter of fact, I told my agent, he looked at me when I told him I wanted to do Pippin. He said, is, he said, there's like a 95% chance this show won't work. Why do you want to do this show? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Bob, Bob asked me to do it, and I'm going to do it. And uh, when I sat down and read the script, the script, there really wasn't a role, and Bob looked across the table at me, and he smiled, and he said, don't worry about it. <laughs> and we created the leading player. For somebody who's never seen that show, it's, it's a hard role to describe, right? You kind of are the intermediary between the audience and the story. Yes. I, you know, when I'm working with actors who are doing the role, and those of you out there who are about to do the leading play who are listening to this broadcast, my key is that it really is a mental journey. Pippin is a mental journey for me. And I represent the consciousness of this young man. And I'm taking him on a journey. And I'm allowing the audience to come inside his mind. I'm inviting you into his mind. You know, join us. Leave your fields of just join, get into this guy's mind and what, take this journey with us. So that was my approach to this character. Have you seen, have you watched other people do this role? Yes. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun for people's various interpretations of the way they feel the character. It's fun and wonderful. And that's the wonderful thing about theater. That's why it's not cookie cutters. Each person, when you get into a role, I like to see actors make it their own. Let their own breath flow through it. And allow yourself to express what you're feeling at the time of your interpretation of the lyrics of the another script. 
We're talking to Ben Vereen right now. He is going to join me on stage uh, on September 26th at uh, St. Joseph University. We're going to talk about a hundred other different things besides what we're talking about today. Uh, But we've got a lot more to talk about today. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to grab a drink of water, and then we're going to come right back. We're back with Ben Vereen uh, on September. (laughs) It's his spirit flute. He's centering us. He's getting us ready. He's preparing us. So on September 26th, he and I will be on stage at St. Joseph University in in West Hartford. And you get tickets, I think, at sju.edu. I think that's right. And uh, we want you to come. Uh, Fill the seats up because we got a lot lot more stories to tell. I've been told by his his producer uh, out in L.A. of the new album he's working on, he might even sing a Joni Mitchell song a cappella. I just might might do that. And I want people to come out, not only to see me, but to support the arts. Show the community how you're supporting the arts. We try to you do that. to support the arts. Yes, to try to do that. We do that in Connecticut. So you, yes. your your career is all about the arts, but it's also, you. your career has also involved a lot of political activism. And you were talking about just being in marches and stuff, even with the Rat Packers and people like that. So I want to talk a little bit about some of your political activism. We should say you performed in connection with President Obama's original inauguration, right? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, it's, I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And uh matter of fact, I was part of the, I uh, was running around New York uh, with the various, um, you know, coalitions trying to get him he, him elected. And I ran into a guy named Peter Yarrow, mm-hmm. whom I had known from Hare. And Peter walked in and he said, Ben, so we let's hook up. So we went around the various clubs and the various uh, organizations singing songs. And he's, of course, with Peter, Paul, and Mary. Mm-hmm. And I'd be doing a speech. <laughs> I'd be telling, rallying the people. And he'd strum his guitar. If I had a hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh, if it's the Battle of Jericho. And so I was in Hollywood and the inaugural was going on. And I hadn't been invited. I wanted to go. We called up. Matter of fact, they called and said they wanted me to do uh, one of the galas, and it got canceled. So I was sitting by my phone, and Peter called and said, of course, you know, Mary, uh, who has left us, and God, thank you, Mary, for all you did with Peter, Paul, and Mary, and for us, the world. Would I join them? And so I said, of course. So we did a thing called Peter, Paul, and Ben. <laughs> well, I would have liked to have seen that. That, that oh, it was great. It was great. It was great. I got to sing all those great songs with them, and it was wonderful. But, you know, I think to political discourse, you bring a lot of different things. And, of course, one of the things you bring is just the iconic role that you played in Roots. And did being in Roots make you also want to speak out about America's past and America's present? Did it radicalize you in a certain way? Well, you know, uh, growing up in my era, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you couldn't help but speak out right? Uh, because we were in the streets, as people are in the streets today, but for other issues, uh, we were in the streets about equal rights and civil rights. And, and so when Roots came about, because when I was growing up in school, especially in elementary schools and junior high schools in those days, there was very little written about the African-American history. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one paragraph, you were a slave and they can freed you. And we knew that wasn't all, all of it. And so when Alex Haley went back to Africa to get to the Gambia, 
and he found Jufere, and he found the Kunta Kinte, his family, and he came back to America, not in first class, but in the hull of a ship, mm-hmm. a freighter, and wrote Roots, and the book was not even out. There was just rumors that ABC was going to do the story about black people in America. I said, I want to be a part of this. I got to be a part of this. And I ran to my agent. I said, you got to get me a reading. You got to get me a reading. And he said, well, uh, Ben, they want actors, and you're a song and dance man. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? He said, that that wouldn't even be done. So I was down in Savannah, Georgia, where they were shooting the African version of of Roots. And I was doing a character, which is a true story. In America, there was a time when black people weren't allowed on the stage unless they wore blackface, Mm -hmm. right after slavery. And it was it was out of the minstrel period, you know. A couple of white white guys, you know, went down and saw you know the black people, you know, the African Americans on the fields, and uh, they said, "Let's black up and do them." And then when slavery was older, they said, "Well, then we can do us better than they're doing us." So they decided to go on the stage, and a lot of them were killed. And you know, that's part of the story. They were lynched, and and, and so they said, "Well, if you're going to be on our stage, you're going to black up." So a lot of them blacked up and made it an art form. And Burt Williams was one of those guys. And so I used to do a parody on Burt Williams, which I got in trouble for because, you know, we don't know too much of our history. It's not studied. Right. You got, so, you got in trouble in the 1981 yes, uh, yes, uh, yes, Reagan yes, inauguration Google. where people didn't exactly. understand. Didn't they cut out your explanation of what they you were cut doing? Out, they cut out the explanation completely. And so I got totally off the subject of what had to be happening at that time. And so uh, I was doing that character in Savannah, Georgia, and a guy named Stan Margulies came and saw the show. And he said, I want you to be my Chicken George. I didn't know what a Chicken George was. <laughs> but I said, you part of Roots, I want to be in it. And uh, the rest is history. Well, the rest is history. But, but to answer your question, yeah. yes, it, it does center you down in more of a purpose to get out the fact of about the African-American history, about the fiber and the, the heritage of the black people and what their contributions have been to the American red, white, and blue, and, you know, to equalize. And because we're still struggling with that today, you know, that's why we have the unrest that we're having and the division that's happening again after Martin Luther King, after Malcolm X, after the unity and call for the unity, the country to unite. Now we're being divided again. You know, it's it's sad. You know, it's time we need some compassion, as the Dalai Lama would say. Right. The Dalai Lama, by the way, another person very good at making a big room feel small. I was actually uh, at one of his lectures one time, and I felt like he was talking mm-hmm. directly to me. It was like you waving mm-hmm. at somebody. But yes, anyway, he does. back to the, what you were saying before, I'm wondering how you do feel about that. I mean, you know, obviously there was this kind of historic moment, not a kind of historic moment, when President Obama took office. And, and one might have thought at that point that some of the old wounds and old poisons were going to be laid to rest and that the country was going to move forward. And instead, it feels like over the last 18 months that instead these nerves have been scraped raw in a new way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't mm-hmm. know, how, how does that feel mm-hmm. to you? How does it seem to you as you watch all that unfold? Well, it's not only that, it's what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. We look to this man, not only Obama, and it's because he's an African-American, he's sitting in the White House, which we're very proud of. But here's the thing. We elect the man and then we turn our backs I thought that we said, yay, man, we were here, we're standing behind you, we're standing for you. And then all of a sudden, okay, you got the job, we're out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to scrape and pull and pull and try to make things better for us, and we're pulling against it. I'm not a political person. 
I do not know. I'm a song and dance man. But I know I, I love my country, and I want my country to be better, and I want equal rights for everybody, mm. and I want us to become more spiritual-minded instead of humanistic democracy-driven. Mm-hmm. And if I think we get more spiritual, not everyone is spiritual. I mean, a lot of people say, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. But you woke up this morning, something woke you yeah? up. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, that's my feeling. It does seem as though we went a long way. We waited a long time from Roots, which really was kind of a time. It was just a national moment where for the first time in, in certain ways we talked about our slaveholding past, what that was like, what that really meant. And then it feels like we take that and we close it up and we put it back on the shelf. And then 25 years go by and we get 12 years a slave and, and we take the book out again and look at it. And I often feel as though we really ultimately are still not comfortable enough with that story to really reckon with it in a way that's going to be permanent. We're not comfortable, I think, in our skins. Is We're in this, I don't know. You know, here's the thing. We as a human race have got to come to a place of love. We as a human race have got to stop with this this race, that race, the other race of separatism. Because the God that I serve, the Allah, Buddha, Jesus, Elohim, Yahweh, whomever you call your great divine, doesn't care. All this power that I serve cares about is the love. And once we discard the love, we're discarding our creator. And what I'm seeing is that we need more understanding and compassion. You know, we're getting ready to do Roots 2. They are. They are. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad. People ask me, oh, what do you think about Roots being 2? I'm glad. I'm glad that they're doing it again because it keeps the conversation going. But here's the thing. I went to Jufare in the Gambia. I went to the home of Kunta Kinte. I met the last descendant of Kunta Kinte. They have a little museum on that island to commemorate roots. They have a little small slave ship there. Then I got on a, on a boat, and we went to an island about five miles away, called at the time called James Island. A friend of mine named Chaz Guest, an artist who, has, who did the painting, the portrait of, of uh, Obama in the White House, he had um, the president, Jamey, Changed the name from James Island to Kunta Kinte Island. And as I stood on that island, which is about, looks like a, maybe a block long, and they call it the, the door to no return because tens of millions of Africans came to that island. And when you got on that island, the ships would come and they take them away into slavery. This is my wailing wall. I stood in, the, in a little small room where all these Mandinga warriors are kept until the ships came, where they defecate on each other. And and, and then the the soldiers at that time didn't care. You know, the the, the sick minds, sick minds. But the point is I'm making is this. If we're going to do roots again, let us not forget the people on the island of Jufare. They're still work and they're still impoverished. The only tourism they get there are mostly my European brothers and sisters who go by and take a look at Kunta Kinte Island. And I'm wondering, where are we to give homage to where we came from? This is our wailing wall. As I stood there, I wept. 
This is our wailing wall. And I'm, my want is that this time, when they do roots, that they turn to the Jufere and say, what can we do for you? Thank you. Thank you. And am I correct that you decided not to be in Roots 2? No, I didn't decide not to. Mm. Uh, they haven't called. They haven't called yet. All right. <laughs> uh, I'll get to work on that right away then. <laughs> but, you know, I did Roots. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm wishing them luck with Roots. I'm just hoping that the guy who plays Chicken George is good. Yeah. <laughs> you got some big shoes to fill there, boy. Mm-hmm. But just exercise the fact. I'm sure he's going to be a great actor. Uh, the point is that we must remember Jufere. Mm-hmm. We must remember Kunta Kinte Island. You know, it's one thing for us to sit around and write books and do TV shows and, and to, you know, Right, we make T-shirts, and also another thing: when we have, you know, we have, we have now. Oh, I'm proud of. We have February's Black History Month. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about the Jufere. And one thing about my Jewish brothers and sisters: we're getting ready into the Holy Holidays right now, and they have a thing called Seder. Mm-hmm. When they sit around and they talk about the heritage, they sit around the, the, the family table. Everybody must sit around this dinner table, and they talk about their passage from Egypt, and they read books and letters, and, and it's a wonderful thing. My want is the African-American community, during the Black History Month, we got a whole month that we have our Black Seder. But we sit around and we remember great-great-great-great-great-grandmama who sacrificed her life so that we could be where we are today, who said to the slave masters, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll be your hoe. I'll be your. I'll be what you want me to be. But please don't kill my male child. Mm-hmm. Let's give her homage, and let's honor her during that time. And we, as a nation, who have celebrated the roots, black and white, don't forget Jufere. Never th- mind politics and politics and things like that. It ain't about that. It's about the people. You know what you're really talking about, I think? And I think this is a great concept. This could be an incredible thing. And I'm going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. You need black bar mitzvah. Yes, you need exactly. black. You need black mitzvah, where basically— Black mitzvah, yeah, yes. You can steal black that if you mitzvah. want. Black mitzvah, you're actually right. You're actually right. And what would you do with that? That means that there's a rite of passage, and, which is really— from the African-American perspective, take it away. Right. You need a rite of passage. I mean, part of bar mitzvah is you understand your past, you understand your tradition. You don't take another step forward into adulthood without understanding your past and your tradition. So that's, exactly. what, that's what black mitzvah that's would be. Wh- that's what, exactly right. You could start a national we just, movement. We just created something. That's right. That's, yeah. We're starting it. <laughs> right. so you're starting no, nobody <laughs> wants, I'm start, nobody, I'm starting it. Nobody right wants now. to hear me talk about black mitzvah. I can <laughs> I'll guarantee talk you that. About it. Uh, I'll talk, I've been talking about it, but now i got a name for it. Name Thank for you. It. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about some of the projects Ben Vereen's working on uh, and at least one more of his stories. So, yeah, he's going to play us out. Today's show was produced by Queen Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Our interns are Nate Gagnon and Greg LaSala. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jeff Goldblum. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff reenacting 10-speed and brown shoe episodes, visit our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. 
On tomorrow's show, a new publication with a different way of looking at travel. And now, back to Colin. We're back. (laughs) I'm going to find it very hard to do interviews without that in the future. You're kind of spoiling me. I'm going to wait for my other guests to play the spirit flute, and they won't do it, and I'll be so disappointed. Um, we're talking to Ben Vereen. He's going to be with me at St. Joseph, <coughs> Joseph University on September 26th. We can't wait. Yes, I am. You can get tickets. I think it's sju.edu. Go there. Get your tickets. Join us in the audience. I can tell you, this interview is whizzing by with about four-fifths of the things that I wanted to talk about not getting covered. So there, we, we won't repeat ourselves uh, when you come to West Hartford to uh, see us live. There will be all kinds of other things to talk about. You, uh, We're going to get to some of your film projects and theater projects in j- just a second here. But, I mean, you just had this incredible life with all kinds of discoveries and, and some profound tragedies and, and hardships that you've had to overcome. I, I hear in everything that you say a profound spirituality, one that I think it seems like it's a straight line from your Pentecostal uh, church upbringing, what you, which you talked about at the beginning of our conversation. Has it always been like that, or have there been times where it's been hard for you to have the kind of spiritual faith that you talk about now? I'm human, and human has its flaws. Human has its search for divinity within. So, I, you know, I, I've fallen along. I, every day is, is, is not a struggle, but an opportunity to search within for strength to keep on that path because the challenges are there every, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And, you know, it's not for me to sit around and go and blame. See, that's the game. Is when we get hung up in the blame, then we lose sight of where we're going. That's the human consciousness. You know, there's a wonderful story of the Indian chief who tells his son when he's leaving home, he says, my son, when you leave home, there are two wolves who live inside of you and they'll be fighting every day of your life. One is the wolf of good and the other is the wolf of bad. And the son says, well, father, which one wins? He says, the one that you feed. You see, so I try to feed my consciousness good by doing what I need to do for my spiritual self first every day. But during that day, you know, it's like Paul, the apostle said, you got to put on the whole armor of God, meaning that you got to get up with the consciousness in your mind that you are the one with the divine one that you'd serve or that you, you choose to serve. Call it what you may. Call it Allah, God, Buddha, Jesus, Edom, Yahweh, whatever you choose to call that power This is greater than yourself. Because something greater woke you up this morning. So if that woke me up, and if I, my choice was to stay in bed and not to go, then there must be a power greater than myself. Okay, let me find out what it is. And through all my tragedies, and they still go on today, mm-hmm. the challenges come. But I don't look at them as challenges. I look at them as opportunities to be better for my spiritual growth. The uh, I have so many things I want to ask you about here, but uh, the um, uh, we talked about roots before. But you you have your own root story, right? You learned something about yourself uh, in your twenties that you you hadn't known about your actual, the actual nature <laughs> yes. of your birth, right? Yes, yes, yes. I I discovered that I wasn't who I thought I was, and and that's that's earth shattering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
tough at having a rug pull out from <laughs> under you. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, space. Ah, somebody catch me. <laughs> and this is the wonderful thing about spirit. It shows up in various people. Angels, we call them angels, you know, throughout our life. You know, they think angels are some white guys flying around with wings in their backs. So, mm-hmm. Angels are the people around us. You know, they show up in our lives and they catch us in those times. I mean, I could have just gone the other way. But, you know, there was a gentleman there named Dan Frazier, as a matter of fact, an actor, and he saw my knees go weak, and he told me his story about, you know, him being on drugs and coming back and his family finding him. And it gave me strength and encouraged me. And when I went home and, and I looked at the woman who raised me, who was my mother, mm-hmm. and I loved her, Pauline Vereen, and uh, she told me, you know, the story of my, of my birth. And later in years, I went looking for my family. And I found my mother is no longer alive, my biological mother, but I did find my sister. When we get together, I'll tell you all about that. And I found them right there in Connecticut. What's so interesting is that my first marriage, I was married to a bishop's daughter. (laughs) Mm. Don't ask. (laughs) We'll talk about that later, too. And and when I found my family, I found that my family's the Pearsons, and my grandfather was the bishop of the Holiness Church in the South. Mm Mm-hmm. Not only that, but when I found my family there in Connecticut, hi, Gloria, how you guys doing? That's my sister. Yeah. Um, and when I found the, 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 the Pearsons, we had, there was a family reunion there. And I went to the family reunion, and my first wife, I invited my first wife, my second wife, all my kids, oh, look who I found, da, 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 da. And who should walk in but my first wife's aunt. And she looks at me and she stares at me and I go, she goes, you're Essie's son? That was my mother, Essie. I said, yes. She said, she was my best friend. Hmm. We could have been, because I grew up in Brooklyn. They were in Connecticut. We were one hour away from each other my whole life. That's amazing. Yes. So I owe a lot to Connecticut. So thank you for loving my family. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, it was Der- Derby, Connecticut, I think, right? Uh, was, Derby, Connecticut. That's, yeah. that's where my sister lives. Um, and I know my, my nephews and my nieces and my... <laughs> Hi, Debbie. Debbie's getting married, matter of fact, um, on my birthday. So uh, October 10th, for those of you who want to know. I'm the 15th, so they can do their shopping <laughs> the for us October, together. Yeah, they can yeah. do our shopping, right? Yeah. So, Send all gifts to Debbie. <laughs> there's, a, there's a documentary uh, in the works about you, Ben Vereen, uh, Last of the Showmen. Um, tell, us, uh, tell us about the well, documentary. Well, it, it right now it's on the shelf right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, right now we're working on the show, you know, from B2B, from Brooklyn right. to Broadway. You want to get that out in the, in the book. You're, but you're also, I think you're in Florida right now, and that has to do with directing and choreographing a version of Hair? I'm directing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yes, hair. I'm re- re- rethinking hair. And I've got a wonderful cast, and uh, we are uh, rethinking hair. The reason why is because I feel that we haven't done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something happened. Somewhere, the, somewhere the, 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 the message was misplaced. We didn't let the sun and shine in? We did not let the You said it. That's very good. Mm-hmm. We did not let the sun shine in. So uh, I'm rethinking it. It feels as though, I mean, I think most people's first reaction would be, wow, it's a real period piece. It really lives in a specific time. But you're saying yes, no. Yes, you, it does. Yeah, we, it but, does. It lives in a period of time. But have we really changed from that period of time? That's the question. Right. What have we done to make a big change for the better? 
Did we let the sun shine in? So we're opening on November 10th, uh, November 9th for the gala, and on the 10th here in Venice, Florida. And it's going to run for six weeks. This is our workshop. And my want is that if I do my job well, we can. it'll go on, on tour around colleges, I'm hoping. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. And I want to thank Galt McDermott. And I want to thank, you know, uh, you know Jim Rado and, and Michael Butler, you know, for their blessings. Um, I want to come back to the, the B2B show that's uh, from Brooklyn, oh, Brooklyn, yes. Brooklyn to Broadway. So Brooklyn this, to Broadway. Um, I just gave the B&B breakfast and bed and breakfast a new name, new, yeah. new title. Or, or, <laughs> now people going to, going to bed and breakfast going, is this a Brooklyn to Broadway place? That's right. <laughs> or we could say from Bed-Stuy to Broadway, too. I mean, that's there you go. Right, specifically right, where exactly, you're from. Exactly. But, so do you, is, this, um, is this kind of a, bio, a biographical show? In other words, uh, as well as singing, do you talk about some of the things that – I'll tell stories, yeah. and uh, we'll be singing. There'll be a cast. Uh, there'll be a you know a, a great great band, you know. So it'll be very entertaining. I, I'm looking forward to it myself. I I read the script, and Joe Clarko, who wrote the script, and is quite. I was quite impressed. So we we're going to be working on it. We we've got a few directors in mind going to come aboard, and some investors. So uh, we're looking to do a limited run uh, right now. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. So will you tell stories? I mean, for example, I have to say you're the second very, very well-known person that I've interviewed in the last couple of years who's had the horrible experience of having been hit by a car while a pedestrian. I did a long interview on stage with Stephen King about two years ago. Went through kind of— Oh, Stephen, yeah. yeah kind of went God, went yeah. through pretty much the same thing you went through, was, was mm-hmm. struck by a car as a pedestrian. For somebody like you, somebody who, whose life is so much about movement, somebody who's, you know, who's for the first part of your career was as a dancer— and you You've always been a dancer since then. I can't imagine a more frightening and horrible thing than to be struck by a car and wonder just how, how far back you're going to be able to come from that kind of an injury. Is that the kind of thing? Can you work something like that into the, the From yes. B2B show? Yeah. Yes, it'll be there. All that'll be there. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a blessing. I feel blessed. And once again, I want to thank my audiences because you were there for me. Mm-hmm. I could have had that accident, and then everyone I would have gone into oblivion. Nobody would have said, "Oh, you remember him?" But my audience stood beside me. They were there by my by my bed in the hospital, there with me at Kessler in New Jersey during my rehab period. They were there. They showed up when I walked on stage in Jelly's Last Jam with my good friend Gregory Hines. They were there. So that's why I do. What I do, that's why I'm teaching now. That's why I'm directing now. That's why I'm, I'm still performing now, because of my audiences. So thank you. So um, I want to ask you about this movie you're in right now with this uh, obscure guy named oh, Richard, yeah, Richard yeah. Gere. Is that his name? Yes, yeah. Richard Gere, an amazing artist and directed by Oren Moverman. It is a really compelling story of a homeless guy who comes to a homeless shelter and he meets this guy, Dixon, and Dixon, who is encouraging him not to lay down on, on being homeless. And uh, it's just, it doesn't blame anybody. It's just a day, in the, it's, it's a period of, life, in, of time for a, a homeless person. And what's so wonderful, what Oren did with this, and I think that, uh, and rightfully so, Richard should receive an Oscar nomination because you've never seen Richard like this. And explain who he you are. Who, out, who are you in the movie? I, I, I play Dixon. I play the guy he meets in the homeless shelter who befriends him. Uh, 
against his wants and, and encourages him to keeps him going. You know, when you look at a role like that, you just said it before. I mean, you got uh, hit by a car. You've had other tragedies in your life where there have been periods in your life where you probably could have just given up. And maybe do you when you see somebody in a homeless shelter, is there that but for the grace of God, there go I this kind of sense that, wow, if I'd let go. Yeah, go ahead. I think all of us should feel that way. And I think we should really become our brother's keepers. My want is that we do. We have homelessness. And it's not because of—and here's the thing. There are homeless people, and then there are homers. And what I mean by that, homers, are people who are using the system in order not to be—not to work. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is people who are really in need of a home, and they can't—the system can't get to them because there are homers out there taking the monies that they need. You know, and and what we got to do is weed out— those who are not in need and hit those who are in need. My one is that we follow, I keep saying to follow the example that they're trying to do in, in Utah where they're not giving them a hand out, but a hand up. You know, they realize that we're spending so much money on keeping them homeless. Let's use that money and put them in homes. Let's give them, put them back in society. Let's give them the needs and things that they need in order to work in our society to make our cities stronger. Uh, we're talking to Ben, ben Vereen right now. As I say, he'll be joining me on stage September 26th. We're running out of time here. Um, but since we're talking about movies, I know you like movies in general. And somebody, well, well actually, Betsy Kaplan, Queen Betsy, my uh, producer, who's made an yes, effort Queen to— Yes, Queen Betsy. That's right. Hi, darling. So <laughs> she's made an effort to learn everything about you. She tells me that you liked Birdman in particular last year. Tell, what, what, did yes. you, what did you What did you like about that movie? It was in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, I love Keaton. You know. Well, I also felt as though, and you, you would be the person who could who could tell me, but I felt as though watching those shots, it was as close as a moviegoer as I was going to get to what the feeling is backstage. All those long tracking shots through the backstage. Yes. It, it it felt is that is that what it feels like? Did it did it feel yes. like a recognizable thing for you? Oh yeah, it was like being home. It was like it was like watching home. It was great. Really quickly here, I know that you are working on an album. You're so busy that I, I don't know when you'll ever finish it. Yeah, and Dan and, Watts and Dan, is producer. I don't know when I'll finish it either. That's Don right. is all, Dan is on me all the time. Right. Dan Watts <laughs> told me today that he doesn't know when you're going to finish it. But he's the one who told me. <laughs> he, he was the one who told me maybe you'll do the Joni Mitchell uh, song a cappella when we're uh, on mm-hmm. stage here. But when as you're picking out music now for something like that, wh- where are you finding music? Where do you find music that you, a song that you love enough to record and maybe later feature in? in a live show? Well, you know, it's, it's got to it's gotta hit me in the inside, from the inside first. And uh, if I relate to it, then I know my other audiences will relate to it. You know, we haven't found enough songs yet. We're still looking for songs. So if you need songwriters, I'd like to submit some songs on on uh, uh, about overcoming and, and, uh, and about the good things in life, uh, uh, then send them my way. Give me a tragic song. Send them my way. We're looking for songs right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, so that's what I look for. Yeah. And I look for a song that hit me in the heart, and I go, mm, that feels good. Let me see, let me put it on. And I put it on and see how it fits. And if it's a good fit, then we'll do the song that I can share with my audiences. And when I do it with this album, what I'm doing is I'll, I do concerts. And in my concert, I will put an album in, I mean a song or two in, and see how the audience's response to it. If they like it, it stays. If it doesn't, it goes out. (laughs) 
And, and that could be an amazing thing too. I saw Audra McDonald earlier this year, and she was doing. Oh, my a, darling, yes. She was doing a song by a completely unknown young songwriter. It's called uh, It's mm-hmm. called the Story of Otter and Bear or something like that. And and mm-hmm. everything else in the show was pretty much standards or you know stuff that was at least ten or fifteen years old. The, everybody in the audience cried during this new song. I, I know mm-hmm. I know she's recording this song now. I yes, mean, just, yes. They just loved it. That's what happens. That's why we do it. Uh, ben Vereen, we're going to wrap up now, but we have so many more stories for you to tell on September 26th. We've already established, of I course, will be there. Black Mitzvah is coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the perfect place to end. Hashtag Black Mitzvah. Uh, it's going to be a, a national movement. Ben Vereen, thank that's you so right. much. Thank you. When things get dank, we'll Go, we stay Tranquil spirits high Pulses low But what I've left behind Looks trifling What's ahead Looks black Am I doomed to spend my life Lingering on Just lingering on I'll never find it. Never, never, never. Easy, baby. You're on the right track. All right, Sugar, I've got another audition for you. Okay, uh, go ahead. Hit me. It's the stage adaptation of Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Okay. Okay, um, what, do I understudy the period? Or... Nope, better. Wow, okay, um, well, do I play David Foster Wallace, or? You understudied the asterisk. There are 388 footnotes. If something happens to the original actor playing the asterisk, you'll practically be on stage the whole time. Where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs>